Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Those words from Proverbs chapter 4 could have been the words of any parent when their son or daughter is ready to leave home or when the parent is at the point of death and ready to leave this world. A strong reminder to remember and practice the truth they were taught. The Apostle Paul is a good example of this in his words to Timothy at the end of Paul's life. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard, Timothy, what you have been taught, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. In other words, teach the things, take the things I've taught you and teach faithful men who will then teach you others. But those words from Proverbs 4 could have also been written by Moses on the plains of Moab before the nation of Israel crossed the Jordan River into the land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we find these words in the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord through Moses reminded the nation of Israel of some of the most important laws, commandments, their history, and prophecies that had already been given to them in the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. And so these four books, along with Deuteronomy, form what was called the Torah, or the law, which Jesus said he came to fulfill. So with that being said, let's pray. Ask God to teach us his his truth through the book of Deuteronomy this morning. Pray with me, please. Father, we are so grateful to be in your presence today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come in power and might, open our hearts, teach us truth from the book of Deuteronomy, which you gave to Moses to command the nation of Israel. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see the timeless principles that are there, the things that we need to apply to our own life today. If nothing else, Father, I pray that you will give us a tremendous love, respect, and admiration and commitment to the Word of God and making it a powerful part of our life. That we won't just come on Sunday to hear the Word, but that we'll be a Mary and sit at your feet each and every day. Because, Father, I believe what the Word says, that it is our life. So speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible or a tablet or something, open up to the book of Deuteronomy. As a lot of you know, uh, this is an ongoing series called The Story, and I'm teaching big chunks of Scripture uh, as we go along and we look at the fact that God created, man fell into sin, and God is in the process of rescuing and then restoring uh, the earth and people back to how he created them. So we've, we've looked at the first uh, four books, and now we're at the fifth book of the Bible called Deuteronomy. And uh, I'm just going to cover a, a few highlights of the book. Uh, there's several chapters, and so uh, I'm not going to read it word for word, if that would be okay this morning. That, that okay if I don't cover it verse by verse, just kind of touch on the highlights? Okay, I saw a few people shaking their heads. Cameron, you'd rather have every single word read? Is that what you're saying? You're okay with it? All right, good. All right, look at, uh, if you will, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. 
because this sort of gives us the current setting where the book is taught. It says, these are the words that Moses spoke to, the, to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah. So we're speaking about the uh, east side of the Jordan River, all right? So not in the actual promised land on the west side of the Jordan, but there, it's being taught here uh, on, the, on the east side of the Jordan River. Go to verse 5. It says, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. So that's the setting. They've been wandering around for 40 years, and here they are ready now to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. And Moses then is going to remind them of a lot of things that they have learned already through the first four books. These are sort of the last words of Moses. So it's kind of like that parent reminding his son or daughter, here are the things that are really important. Remember these things. And that's what Moses is doing for the nation of Israel. So in verses, uh, in chapters 1 to 4, that just provides sort of a historical review of the past 39 years when they left Mount Sinai, which is also called Horeb, until they finally crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. But if you will, look at verses 1 through 6. We see God's instruction now to the nation. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, or Mount Sinai, you've stayed long enough at this mountain. And just a brief review, remember it took them about three months to leave Egypt and get to Mount Sinai, and they stayed there almost a year, 11 months and a few days at Mount Sinai. So now they've been, they've been out of Egypt about a year, so now they're heading to the Promised Land. Verse 7, turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah and in the hill country, in the lowland, in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. God is saying, okay, it's time to go in and to claim all of the land that God promised originally to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob. And it's quite a bit of land, a lot more than what we see Israel being in right now. Verse 8, God says, see, I have set the land before you. It's like somebody setting out a, a, a delicious meal or a, a birthday cake or a great gift or something very valuable. God's saying, I've set it out for you. In other words, it's a gift. I'm going to give it to you. You don't know, I mean, as you read through the book of Deuteronomy, I didn't count them, but over and over and over again, God keeps saying, the land that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob and their descendants. All they have to do is go in. God is going to empower them then to take the land. It's like the promises that God gives to us. We just need to know those promises, trust those promises, and to walk in those promises. I've set the land before you. Go in, take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. Who could refuse such a precious gift? And yet the rest of chapter 1, if you were to read it, talks about how Israel refused to go into the promised land. Remember the 12 spies? Ten came back, gave a bad report, and they refused to go in and enter the land. And there was a penalty, a consequence for that. So go to verse 35 in chapter 1. I'm going to read 35 through 8, 38. 
here's the consequence for their disobedience and not going into the land that God was going to give them. Verse 35. Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give this land on which he has trodden. Why? Because he has wholly followed the Lord. And then Moses says even about himself, even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, you also shall not go in. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, in other words, your right-hand man, Joshua, who waits upon your orders and helps carry them out, he shall enter, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it, to inherit the land. So everybody that was an adult at that point in time where Israel refused to go in, none of them made it into the promised land except two people, Caleb and Joshua. That was it. All the rest of them in, that, in those 40 years, or 39 years, died before they went into the land. That was the consequence of disobedience. When we are disobedient, we miss out on the blessings of God. That is the bottom line. If you can learn something today, just learn that God is a good God. He has blessings for you. When you obey him and trust him and walk in the path that he has for you, he showers down blessings. We are so deceived to think that we can outbless God. Whoa, you cannot outbless God. You cannot outgive God. But it requires faith. Because sometimes God asks us to go into a land that has enemies. There's a battle, in other words, all right? Now, chapter 2 and 3 give us a brief description of kind of the wilderness years and how they defeated two Amorite kings that were on the, I always have to do this, on the east side of the Jordan, all right? So they conquered, and, and two and a half tribes sort of settled actually on the east side of the Jordan, but their army went in with the other tribes to conquer the land that was on the west side of the Jordan River. We'll see that in chapter 3, verse 8. It says, So we took the land at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan from the valley of the Arnon in the south to Mount Hermon in the north. All right? So that's just a little bit more of their history. And then in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Moses commands their obedience to God's covenant. Look what he says in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them. Why? That you may live. God has given us physical life. He wants to give us spiritual life. But we have to be willing to turn to him. In our case, we have to be willing to turn to Christ to not only hear what he has to teach us, but to do it. When we do that, it says we'll live. Do you ever wonder why you feel like you're maybe not experiencing all of life? Well, check your walk with the Lord. Are you hearing and obeying? If so, God's word promises life to us. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord the God of your fathers is giving you. See, there's one more time. I'm giving it to you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. 
It's easy to see why Jesus got so upset with the religious leaders of his day. They were constantly adding to it. And their own words became more important to them than God's word. I was just talking with this sister back, back here this morning about the fact that, you know, it's, it's okay to read other books that talk about the Bible and God's word, but always remember this is God's word. Always compare what others are speaking and teaching with the word of God and to make sure they're not adding or subtracting. Kind of like Paul said about the Bereans, you know. They, they checked out what I said. They, they looked at the Old Testament scriptures to make sure that what I was teaching was, was true. That's, we're supposed to be like the Bereans. And then in chapter 4, we see the consequences of turning to other gods. In this case, just think of other things. Think of idols of the heart. There's consequences when we focus our affection and our attention, our time, our money, our efforts, all those things on other things other than the true and living God. But we also see God's mercy and grace when we realize that and repent and turn back to him. So look at chapter 4, verse 25. This is really fascinating. Because God knows what's going to happen when they enter the land. So he is preparing them for that. Verse 25. When you, when you father children and children's children, and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you'll be few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Hey, that's, that's serious stuff right there. It happened in 722 with the Assyrians. It happened in 586 with the Babylonians. It happened in 70 AD with the Romans. All right, and let me read a little bit further here because it's going to happen again. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat, nor smell, but from there you will seek the Lord your God. In other words, it's never too late to repent of setting our affections on other things. When the Holy Spirit convicts you and brings that to your heart and mind, then confess it and turn back to the Lord. It says, in, it says then, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. You know sort of the neat and scary thing about the Lord? He knows our hearts. He knows when we're just going through the motions. He knows when we're just playing games. God doesn't want you to do any of that stuff. He just wants you to be real. Tell him your struggles. Tell him your frustrations. Tell him what you don't understand. But hopefully you get to that point like David did in many of the Psalms where his heart finally turns back to the Lord and places his full trust in God and in his word. If you, if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then in verse 30, interesting. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, there's some New Testament terminology there. The latter days, 
you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. In other words, even though Israel is going to choose time after time after time to turn their back on the Lord, God in his mercy and his grace is going to bring them back to him. And they, they'll realize their lack of blessing and the curse and the, and the consequences that they have. And they'll repent and they'll turn back to him and God will be merciful and bring them back to himself and he will restore them. Uh, just like it says in Romans 11, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, then all Israel will be saved. So God promises you're going you're gonna to wander, but you're going to keep coming back. And that's kind of like us. We wander. Even if it's just being indifferent to the Lord. Maybe you're not really setting your affections on other gods too much, but you just sort of stray from him. You get caught up in, in, in life, other things. We just have to remember to keep coming back. All right. And then in, in uh, verse 33, we see the emphasis on the Lord being God. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The memorial name that God gave to Moses in Exodus 3, Yahweh, or in Greek, Jehovah. He says, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? And he's talking about Mount Sinai. Sinai. Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, signs, wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord, Yahweh, is your Elohim, your God. God was a personal God. He had, this was his chosen people. And he wanted to remind them that he was the only true and living God. And not to follow any other so-called gods. There's no one other besides him, it says. Now at this point in chapter 4, Moses begins then to lay out the law. Okay, so look at verse 44. Chapter 4, 44 says, this is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. He's going to begin to teach them this law. So far, he's just kind of been giving them a historical review and challenging them to keep seeking the Lord. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt beyond the Jordan. All right? So in chapter 5, I'm going to cover some chapters kind of quickly here, just a brief overview. Chapter 5, we see a review of the Ten Commandments. Uh, notice in verse 6 how he sets up these commands. He says, I am the Lord, your God. I'm your personal God, Yahweh, the I am. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. By the way, before I give you these important commandments, just remember who I am and what I've done. Should that motivate us to, to think about what God has done for us in our life? You know, he set us free from sin, from Satan, from death. The reason we have hope is because he is a risen and resurrected Savior, right? We have to remember that. Then he, said, he gives us the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't let anything else capture your heart and your affections. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Don't try to create something that is supposed to represent me. I'm much bigger than that. 
Verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God's name reflect who he is. When you use that in a casual way or in a bad way, God says, don't do it. You're desecrating me by desecrating my name. And then in verse 12, he says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he goes into commandments that deal with relationships with people with people. Verse 16, honor your father and your mother. Verse 17, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet. And so he just reminds them of these basic commandments. And then in chapter 6, he gives them the greatest commandment that Jesus quoted in the New Testament a few times. Look at verse uh, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet he is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your might. In other words, with every fiber of your being, love the Lord. And how do we do that? Well, because he first loved us. He first loved us, 1 John chapter 4. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So, so far, he's, it's, he's saying, love the Lord your God with every fiber of your being and love my word. Let it be on your heart. The only way you put something on your heart is if you love it. Isn't that true? The things that we love, those are the things that we tuck away into our heart. Love the Lord, love, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Love my, my words. And then it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture because God is just saying, I'm the true and living God, I'm one. Love me, love my word, and then take that love for me and your word and pass that love along to your children and your grandchildren and the generations to come. That's the greatest commandment. You can't do that, though, without God's love. So we have to receive, and once we have it, then we can, we can give it. Chapter 7, he lays out some of the blessings. All right, if you look at uh, verse 6, chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord. Now, what does it mean to be holy to the Lord? Well, it means to be sanctified or set apart for a holy purpose, for God's purpose. That's what it means to be holy to the Lord. You've been chosen and set apart for a great purpose in your life. You're a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. I mean, that just makes me tingle when I think about the fact that God has chosen us in Christ for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And then if you look at 12 through 15, he goes on to talk about more blessings for the nation. And because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love he swore to your fathers. God is a promise keeper. He never breaks his promise. He always keeps his promise. 
He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. There it is again. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will inflict on you, but he will lay them on all who hate you. So God is saying, trust me, turn to me, trust me, take, obey me, and then all these blessings will come upon you, all right? Now, in chapters 8 and 9, he reminds them not to let their pride rule their hearts. Now, why would that happen? Why would a chosen people with a great God, given a beautiful piece of property to move the nation into, and laid all these blessings upon them, why would the nation have to be warned about pride? What happens up here when everything's going well for us? And we see all these good things happening in our life. That sin within our members, that pride that is so very subtle, begins, we begin to think, wow, kind of like Nebuchadnezzar on his roof, look what I have done. I'm sorry, folks, but you're like me and I know it happens. So he warns them here. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God wants to bless us, but even in that blessing, we have to be guarded. We have to make sure that we continue to give him the praise. Don't you find that's part of what happens on a Sunday morning when we come and hear his word and we stand up and we sing? We're acknowledging our praise to God for all that he has blessed us with this past week and throughout our lives. It's important because if you don't do that, if you don't bless the Lord, you know, oh, my soul, if you don't praise him, guess who you will praise? Yourself or others. And then you're into idolatry and you're breaking the commandments and then the blessings begin to get cut off and then you come to that point like Israel did time and time again it's like how did I get in the valley again I need to be back up on the mountaintop so we need to be warned chapter 10 uh, the Lord clearly uh, states clearly what he expects from his chosen people look at chapter 10 verse 12 Deuteronomy 10 12 here's what God expects of his chosen people and now Israel what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and what does it mean to fear? It means to reverence, means to respect. It, it, it means to come to attention and, and ready to listen and, and to follow orders. Fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, love him, serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul, 
and keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today. What are the next three words? For your good. We sometimes think that God's commandments are there to be a burden to us or to keep us from really enjoying life, that somehow he's trying to confine us, suppress us, enslave us to something, that, to something in other words, kind of like the, the lie that Satan told Eve in the garden. Well, God's afraid you'll become like him. Trying to make us think that if we follow the Lord, somehow we're missing out on something. Oh, you're missing out on something. <laughs> the consequences of sin is what you're missing out on. And I, for one, would just soon miss out on that. I've done that enough times. It's like, okay, been there, done that. Don't want to do that anymore. It's for your good. And that's the thing you have to remember. Because when you hear words like commandments, statutes, rules, I mean, you can almost get a little sad just thinking about those words, right? It's like, uh, no. They're to set you free to really enjoy life. God is your life. His word is your life. If you want to really experience life, then you have to experience God to the fullest and his word in a powerful way. So as you get to chapter 12, there's more specific laws being given. Let me just kind of rattle through these a little bit. Look at uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. Chapter 12, 1 to 5. All right talks about destroying the places of worship of these other gods. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. It's like in the New Testament, those are the things that we put off. There's putting on and putting off, and those are the things they need to put off and destroy. Then in verse 4, it says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all the tribes to put his name and make his habitation there, there you shall go and worship. And that ultimately ends up being Jerusalem. God chose Jerusalem, Zion, as the place where the nation would gather and, and give their, their worship. And then in verse 13, it talks about uh, putting to death false prophets. Anybody have a prophecy here this morning you want to share? No? Okay. Chapter 14 talks about clean and unclean animals. In other words, here's what you can eat and, sh and shouldn't eat, again, for their good. All right? Chapter 15 talks about sabbatical years uh, where deaths are forgiven and servants are released. In other words, every seven years, there's a chance to kind of start over and be refreshed and start anew. A wonderful way of kind of you know, putting things back in order and in place and, and, and instilling some hope for people that perhaps had to indenture themselves because they were in debt. And then chapter 16, look at verse 16 and 17. This talks about the feasts that God wanted them to come to Jerusalem or wherever he would choose. At this point, Jerusalem hadn't been chosen yet. Of course, they hadn't crossed the Jordan yet, so it's all in the future. 
uh, verse 16 in chapter 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover, at the Feast of Weeks that we know as Pentecost, and at the Feast of Booths in the fall of the year. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. So every male in Israel during those three feasts would come to ultimately Jerusalem and would bring a gift for the Lord. And the gift was to match the proportionate of how God had blessed them. And you know, the application for us is, and we're not just talking money, we're talking time, talents, and treasures. As you feel the blessing of God, so give in return. So if we give little, we're basically saying, God's blessed me just a little. And if we give a little more, then we're saying, well, God's been good. And if we give a lot to challenge our faith, we're saying, God's overwhelming me with blessing, and I can't give it away fast enough. See, we always have to, you know, money especially tells us where our heart is at. And when we just kind of cling to it and we're not willing to give to his work, whether it be a church or missionaries or to the food pantry or to some other work that he's doing or to just people that you know that need help, like the Hamptons right now. They need some help. They've got funeral expenses and who knows whatever else they have to go through in the next few months. And then in chapter 17, it talks about laws concerning Israel's kings. And I find this very fascinating. Uh, go to chapter 17, verse 14. First of all, God knows that when they get in the land, they're going to look around at these other nations, and they're going to say, well, they have kings. Maybe we should have a king. And, of course, I would think God would say to them, well, <laughs> duh, I am your king. I'm the king of kings. But God says, okay, I'm going to allow you to have a king, but I've got some rules for him. Here are the rules. Verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. See how culture affects what we do, whereas God wants us to listen to him and then do what he tells us to impact culture. You're either impacting culture or you are being impacted by it. We always have to be aware of that. So he says, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. So God's going to have to anoint a prophet to go and to choose the person he wants to be king. One from among your brothers you shall set a king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire, okay, there's three things here that now he's going to say, I don't want this king to acquire these things. He must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. All right, don't collect horses. And you shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away. Solomon's a good example of that who had so many wives and concubines and they all worshiped different gods and it began to turn uh, Solomon's heart away from the Lord. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. So you have possessions, you have women, you have money. Ever known a man that got carried away with any of those? And it's not just for kings. I mean, this is for all of us to learn from. 
But look at verse 18, what he tells this king to make sure and do. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law. In other words, take the book of Deuteronomy, king, and write it out word for word by yourself in a book. And let the Levitical priests look at it and approve it to make sure it's correct word for word. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. If you're going to have a king, make sure his affection is on me and my word and not the things of the world. I guess that's how you'd sort of sum it up. Again, which is good instruction for us and especially for those that God calls to leadership. In verse 18, we see some encouraging words, prophecy of the Messiah. 18, verse 15. Chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses is speaking, a prophet like me, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Before I go on, you remember when Jesus was baptized or on the Mount of Transfiguration? God speaks from the heavens, says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he says, listen to him. We're supposed to listen to the words of Jesus. He says, Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. In other words, they were afraid of God's uh, manifestation. And the Lord said to me, They're right in what they've spoken. And then he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your, their brothers. I, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I, can't, I, I didn't take the time to look this up, but somewhere in the Gospels, Jesus said, all that I hear the Father speak, I do. Jesus was always listening to the Father. He wanted to make sure his words were the Father's words. Isn't it incredible that Jesus himself would set the example of hearing God's word his Father's word, and then doing it, even to the cross. Jesus is always our ultimate example. There's a lot of examples in the life of Paul and some of these prophets and the apostles, but when it gets right down to it, really, we need to look at Jesus. And I love this prophecy right here in, this, in the Old Testament, speaking about this prophet to come. And he did come, and he's coming back. Woohoo! All right. The next few chapters uh, talk about warfare, murder. Sorry, Jamison, I just don't have the time to go into that murder stuff and warfare and all that kind of cool stuff. Rights of the firstborn, immorality, divorce, giving, much more. Uh, but the section ends with a declaration of commitment. So go to chapter 26 and look at verse 16. This section on these specific commandments, there's a sort of a, 
a declaration of commitment and a blessing. Chapter 26, verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You've declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. In other words, that's the commitment you made to the Lord this day as I read this law to you. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. As he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy, set apart to the Lord your God as he promised. The people made a commitment and then God makes a commitment to his chosen people. Just as he makes a commitment to us to never leave us nor forsake us, to be with us always, to be a prayer away, to be the anchor of our soul that we go to when we're in, in the fire and the flood. He will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations. Chapter 28 talks about blessings and curses, blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. And I'm not going to take the time to go into all those, but I would encourage you to read them. Because he says things like, Blessed you shall be in the city, and blessed you shall be in the field. Blessed you shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. He just keeps bestowing blessings. When you obey, God gives, gives blessing. Then in verse 15, he says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Look at verse 20. This is interesting. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration. Yikes. <laughs> I definitely have experienced the confusion and a lot of frustration and I'm wondering if that comes as a result of me not just saying Lord you know I'm not good with technology so as I attempt to call CenturyLink and get my website or get the uh, internet up and going again would you please bless it in Jesus name amen <laughs> uh, yes that's been on my radar the last few weeks I don't know if it's all the construction around here, but our, our lines have been um, up, and, up and down. Now go to chapter 30, and we see a promise of restoration. Isn't that good to know that no matter how bad we mess up, God's always faithful to his covenant with his people, all right? Verse 1, chapter 30, verse 1. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart, with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And then look at the final challenge in verse 19 and 20. Moses' final challenge to the nation, verse 19. 
I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life. God in his word is your life. So can anyone fully obey the commandments of God? James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all. No, only Jesus fulfilled the law. Matthew 5.48 says, You therefore be, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, last summer, Grant and I were teaching you through this book, The Gospel-Centered Life, and here's a quote that I'll share with you this morning as we close. The gospel-centered life says this, the law drives us to the gospel. God's commandments drives us to the gospel, and then the gospel frees us to obey the law. Here's what it means. When we realize all that God expects of us and realize that we can't fulfill it, that despair should drive us to the good news of Christ. And once we're united to Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit then causes us to delight in God's law, in his word, and then also gives us the power to obey it. So you don't begin by saying, okay, there's a command. I can do it. I can do it. I, no. You see, you read God's word and say, I can't do that in and of myself. I need Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit. So it comes down to faith. Putting your faith in Christ, knowing Jesus as your Savior, having the Holy Spirit within you, knowing that the Word of God is there for you to read it and guide you, and the body of Christ is here to surround you and encourage you. God's put all those resources at our disposal that we might live a life pleasing to Him. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for giving us and equipping us with the things that we need to follow you, to understand that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Oh, Lord, give us a love for you and a love for your word and help us to share that with others. In Jesus' name, amen.